Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO, Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. It's good to be here, Dan. All right, Chris, uh, good to have you back again. Um, we're going to roll right into the topic that we discussed at the end of last year. Um, if you rewind the tape on a couple of our podcasts back in late December, um, you know we discussed the 2023 starting out uh, with the market melt-up uh, through early February, and very much seems though that scenario has played out. Um, and then you know talked about kind of what we're expecting afterwards. So, so from again, you kind of reiterate what what do you expect to see the market doing over the short term here? Yeah, over the short term, we certainly post the initial seasonal flows and the positioning in the options market. We thought we'd have a bull run until the first week or so of February. Then the market would begin to correct, and that that is in fact what's playing out. Uh, I think we can't underestimate the role the U.S. Treasuries played in this as they've been able to draw down their general account instead of issuing incremental uh, debt to fund the deficits, which would then create a little bit more of a liquidity squeeze. And what they really have been able to do is offset a lot of the QT that's been underway. So liquidity conditions have been very positive for risk assets. Meanwhile, the underlying fundamentals, I think, continue to deteriorate. So Unless there's a news event, we may see a bit of a sell-off, and then you could have another rally um, here sometime in March. But I think we're on the cusp of just getting into more increasingly difficult conditions for the market. And certainly once we have some resolution to the debt ceiling and we begin to issue shorter-term paper in mass, then I think that will also lead to a little bit more of a liquidity squeeze. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I, I think we're um, headed into some more, a little bit more turbulent times here. Yeah, and maybe that sets me up for my second question here. But, you know, we've, we've been um, fairly consistent throughout our, our conversations and, and calling for a material economic slowdown in the first half of 23, mm -hmm. uh, but also in conjunction with increasing deflationary pressures. Um, and with that in mind, you know, so the Janu January economic consumer-related data, that's been stronger than anticipated. Um, we saw the Atlanta Fed um, GDP uh, forecast has increased in the first quarter of 23 um, from real GDP from 0.7% to 2.8% for Q1 23. Uh, so a question, you know, is, is the January data, is it changing your view on potential recession recessionary conditions uh, in Q1 and Q2 of 23 here? No, not yet. Look, I, I understand why... The January data was good. A lot of it, when you look at it on a year-over-year -year basis, Omicron suppressed some of the data in January of 22. So you had fairly easy compares. We've had a significant increase in some of the uh, 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 private sector-related economic data really centered around big COLA adjustments with Social Security. There were big raises there, so big pickups in, in, in personal income. And then spending was fine because this January, kind of writ large, we haven't had much of a winter. We just had more days you could be out and about and more days you could be spending money. So you put all those three elements together and it leads to what would look like a, a fairly robust private sector. Um, I'm not in the camp that uh, this changes uh, anything as far as what the second quarter is going to look like. The mechanics around the Atlanta Fed's calculation is very much driven by just inputting data into a model as it's being released. So we've got positive data in January, so that boosted their uh, expectations for Q1. I suspect when we start to get the February data over the next few weeks, it's going to show deterioration. 
And with that, I think the March data will be even worse. So I'm, I'm expecting negative GDP uh, for Q1 and Q2, and I don't think there's been anything to date that would change those expectations. Um, and that's going to be the challenge. And then it's going to be up to really what, what are the implications as what looks like most certainly um, a recession begins to unfold. And again, I'm relying on the leading indicators of what would be a recession around investment, uh, around what's happened to private sector uh, balance sheets. I know there's a great narrative out there that the consumer's in great shape, and that just couldn't be further from the truth, right? We're seeing, starting to see declines in luxury spending. Uh, I mean, it's been several months uh, or well over a year that the consumer's been losing real purchasing power, um, and all of that's going to be coming to fruition. And it's a little bit new for investors to have to separate out nominal growth from real growth. I mean, real growth is, is clearly going negative. And so when you look at nominal numbers that may look okay, um, at the end of the day, when you look at it on a real basis, they're gonna, I think they're going to prove to be quite negative. And ultimately, that's going to start rolling through credit markets, and then that's going to ultimately impact the uh, valuations. Yeah. And then think about this further. You know, so we're exiting Q1. Um, here shortly, you know, what are you going to be watching closely to determine the path for the markets into Q2 and then really more into the second half of this year? Look, I, I think it really is going to hinge on as the economy decelerates sharply, as companies really come to grips with the need to further lower earnings expectations and really calls into question, quote, this second half recovery, right? I mean, we've been doing this for 20-something years. There's always a second half recovery. But that's more built out of hope than anything substantial. Most companies really don't do the work to have any idea if the second half is going to be better than the first half. Um, now, it, it certainly could turn out to be that the weakness we experience in Q1 and Q2 begins to either get less bad in Q3 or stabilizes or even reaccelerates, uh, but we just don't know yet. So let's let let's wait and see what the data does. Let's see if there's some negative reflexive elements out of the slowdown. Meaning, do, do we see a big pickup in layoffs? Do we see you know like we've seen in the last week or so? We just saw a subprime auto lender go bankrupt. Do we start to see those issues spread out? and call into question the stability in the back half of the year. And the other thing that we really need to watch is inflation. So our leading indicators would have said inflation is going to be sub 4% by July. There is some early indications that there's an opportunity for inflation to start to stabilize at these levels which means if it does start to stabilize, then it actually could be in a position to reaccelerate. Now, that would be because of a whole host of conditions. That could be because of issues coming out of the Russia-Ukraine conflict or underinvestment in commodities or something that would cause a spike in oil prices. It could also be because the issues that are developing around our ability to fund the deficit. And what I mean by that is, you know, tax receipts are down 10%. Year over year, if they continue to decelerate and deficits really start to widen, the Fed may be forced to um, come back with not, not only not doing QT, but 
implementing QE, and that would certainly uh, present an opportunity for inflation to reaccelerate. So I, I really think investors need to be patient. Let's let the data tell us what's next. Um, but by no means are we anywhere near an all clear. And I wouldn't view the year-to-date rally as anything other than some stocks, you know, if you want to be in the camp that there's a soft landing or no landing, they were too cheap, so you can bid them up. Um, if you had a lot of positions that were, or a lot of people that were positioned short and needed to cover on the rally, so that extended some of the momentum, but it is not an indication that there's a soft landing or a no landing. That's not what the market's discounting. Yeah, right. Um, okay, one last question for you. And you, know, you, you mentioned in the prior response, but um, you know, we're, we're a year out from Russia's Ukrainian invasion. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems a relevant time to ask you, you know, any changes, you know, whether these are permanent or, or temporary that you're seeing out there in, in the global market? So, look, I, they're both. And what I mean by that is um, you know, some of the initial supply chain disruptions have worked themselves out. And that's going to lead to some disinflationary pressures, um, and and that's that's good. That's positive uh, for the market. At the same time, what hasn't changed is the geopolitical confrontation. And you could make the argument that Biden going to Ukraine on the anniversary of the war, Xi following up with. Uh, uh, a, a further commitment to supporting Russia, and then I think news out of our intelligence agency saying, "Look, it looks like China is going to start shipping real, real weapons to Russia." Uh, that means one of two things: it either means China wants to ramp up the threat so that they could broker a peace deal, which would be a positive. Although. I may be a contrarian in this. I think if we brokered a peace deal, it would lead to further inflation and not less inflation. And what I mean by that is there would be a resumption of economic activity, and we're still woefully short carbon, and that would be a problem. Um, At the same time, it could be that China's really digging in, and this conflict's going to spread. We're already seeing uh, rumors and movements of additional troops along borders of bordering countries that would indicate that the war is going to spill over across other borders. In the last 24 hours, there are reports that drones um, have been taken down in and around uh, Moscow or further into Russia. So all of these things look like they're escalating to me. So I don't think it's getting better. I think there's a potential for it to get worse unless this is all just a preamble to a greater negotiation to bring an end to this. Um, And again, not unlike inflation and what the second half looks like, we're just going to have to uh, wait and see. But I I think the the next two quarters promise to provide a lot of information about the back half, but unlike a large portion of 22, where it was kind of a one-direction trade and we knew everything needed to sell off, there's going to be distinct winners and losers depending on the data and depending on the path forward. So be patient, um, have a game plan for either course of action, which fortunately we do, um, and be ready to execute on it. All right, good. Well, good spot to wrap up today. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Appreciate the thoughts, and we will catch you soon. Sounds good, Dan. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast 
are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws. Securities discussed within this podcast may be held in the Von Nelson Strategies.